Welcome to the Activation Project, where we activate your mind, teach you how to activate your tribe, and then activate the world. My name is Olivia Eden. I am the host of the Activation Project, and I'm here with my co-host, Paloma Cifuentes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Activation Project. So today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to reverse the roles here and... Paloma is going to interview me, which I'm super excited about. We're going to talk about the activation project, what it entails, what the journeys are like, maybe a little bit about what we're doing now and what the members of the activation project are doing and give you information about how you can become a part of it because we are looking to grow and expand. We truly believe that the world is making people sick a lot faster than we can heal them. And so it is important to us that we activate as many people as possible so that they can continue to activate others. So my dear, what do you have for me today? Well, here's the thing. When I met you, I met you from a distance a long time ago, and I really only knew a couple of things about you. I knew that you were Emily's sister, and I knew that you were pursuing a career in health coaching, something that I wanted to do as well. So started following you on social media. And when I reached out to you, I reached out to you as a sobriety coach. And then you introduced me to the Activation Project. I had never, you know, done psychedelics before. I didn't know what psychedelics were. And so it has really, really changed my life. And I just really want to talk about that. Can you give us a full updated description of the Activation Project and psychedelic assisted therapy? Yes. Yeah. So it's funny because Paloma came over, you know, and I thought that she knew what I did, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> so she comes in and, she, and I was like, so when's the last time you've taken MDMA? And she's like, what's that? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like, it was, well, uh, it, it was pretty nerve wracking because I had never, you know, other than alcohol, I'd never really done any other substances other than weed, but that was like my younger years. And yeah, it was very, very different. I didn't know what to expect. So it was actually nice to be able to come to this with not really knowing what to expect and just kind of letting it happen and let it take over me. And and it turned out really great. Yeah. Honestly, I really enjoy working with people who have their first experience with this particular psychedelic and doing this for the first time because it has a very powerful heart opening effect. I mean, I, it's also works great with people who have done it before, you know, like I had done it plenty of times before and it still had a very remarkable healing effect for me. So the reason why it's so useful and powerful, especially for treating PTSD, trauma, especially from childhood is because if you've experienced a lot of trauma growing up, your amygdala is hyperactive. So it's overactive. It's constantly going. And that's your fear center where you access fight, flight, or freeze. So if you're constantly in a state of survival, especially as your brain is just growing from a young age, it's conditioned to be that way. And that causes a whole host of issues, a lot of anxiety, cause stress. It makes delayed gratification an issue. You eat really fast. You drink really fast. You're doing everything for right now because you're, you don't really know how long you're going to last. So poor job performance is one of the things, substance abuse, promiscuity. There's a whole long list of symptoms that are caused when you have an overactive amygdala. So MDMA is especially powerful because it quiets the amygdala. 
And because it does that, then it activates the hippocampus, which is where we store our long-term memories. So another thing that happens with a lot of trauma, like let's say you were repeatedly spanked and you got a lot of spankings, or maybe you witnessed a lot of abuse in the home verbally through your parents. Maybe your parents argued a lot. Maybe they yelled at you a lot. Maybe you experienced some sexual trauma at a very young age. Maybe there was alcohol or drugs in the home. So the first couple times that these things happen, they're very traumatic. But if it happens repeatedly, the brain to protect you will block these memories out and bury them because it's too triggering for your mind to remember these things. So what tends to happen with a lot of people who've experienced trauma is that they'll have blanks in their memory or they'll remember things in a way that just aided them in their survival, mm-hmm. right? That just kept them going. So what we do when we take the psychedelic, the MDMA, is it blocks the amygdala. So then the hippocampus opens up and then we're able to delve into all of these things that people have been through that are normally very triggering and hard to talk about. But because the amygdala is temporarily blocked, you're in a place of feeling safe and loved and your heart's open. So from that place, you can go in and restructure these memories. So Mm -hmm. it no longer has this triggering effect. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that makes it hard to talk about these things is the fact that they show up so much later in life. Yeah, you kind of know that you're going through some negative emotions or whatever, but it's really hard to see and to reach back at where they came from whenever you start experiencing negative behaviors, you know, in your late 25s or your late 20s or, you know, your early 30s. And some people don't start to really observe or start becoming aware of these negative behaviors that they've inhibited until much later in life, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that's important to mention is that another thing that is really hard is like, if you didn't have a parent that was really supportive, Mm-hmm. of your needs or if they denied things that you were feeling mm-hmm. all of those things pull you completely out of alignment with yourself to the point that you don't trust yourself anymore mm, that's so true yeah so like let's say if you came to a parent you know and you're like maybe you were getting molested or abused or maybe somebody was treating you badly and they brushed it off and they discounted it and they said it didn't happen or whatever it is, you know, like, but they made your feelings unimportant or not valid. That really causes a state of anxiety, fear, all of these things because you don't have the ability to cope or self-soothe. So if any of this is resonating with you or relating to you, it just might mean that you need to go back and sort of start to understand what you went through as a child, because that's a very important place to start. Most people have an inner child who is just wailing to be heard Mm -hmm. and crying and just begging for some connection to be healed. And that can come out a lot of times, like when people get drunk or they, you know, they just act out of character. That's Mm -hmm. finally when their, you know, their inner child is trying to come out to be heard, to be rescued. Yeah. And I think right now we live in a time where, you know, people do want to be heard and there's a lot more advocacy for mental health. However, I feel like there's a big group of people that want the pill to fix your problems. And there's a lot of people that are now addicted to benzos, you know, so quick to grab the Valium or the Xanax to get rid of their anxiety without really digging deep into, 
you know, where it stems from. And that's why I'm really glad that I came across you. I, I'm really glad that I came across the Activation Project because I think before, you know, I reached out to you, I was considering, you know, maybe going to a doctor and getting some, you know, sort of prescription medicine that was going to help me deal with my anxiety. And I'm really glad that I didn't do that. And so I think when I explain to people, well, you know, this is what the journey is like. You take MDMA and, and they ask, well, what is MDMA? And I'm like, well, it's, the, you know, the purest form of ecstasy, the party drug. They're immediately like, whoa, like, that's terrible. You shouldn't be doing drugs. Like, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, it's it's much better than having to take a Xanax or a Valium every single fucking exactly. day. Exactly. <laughs> People's uh, perception of this stuff is so skewed. Yeah. You know, like the way that, for instance, alcohol is just completely romanticized everywhere. It's in every like movie, mm-hmm. it's in every show, in every mm-hmm. scene, pretty mm-hmm. much. And it's just a very normal thing to do, but it's so toxic for the body when consumed in huge quantities and all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet these other things that are very natural and helpful are so demonized. Yeah. So are you still not drinking? I'm still not drinking. And that's actually, what is it, April? So tomorrow will be six months. Whoa. Tomorrow will be my six month mark. Good yeah. You, Thank you. I'm really, really, really proud of it. Honestly. How has your life changed since you've stopped drinking? The mental clarity is just is real. Like what I like about it is definitely the mental clarity, but being able to notice, you know, the changes that happen in my body. Because I used to when I'd go out or when I stayed up late and drank. The next day, I'd feel horrible. And I always blamed it on the alcohol. Always. And since I stopped drinking, you know, I changed my routine a a lot. I wake up a lot earlier. I go to bed a lot earlier. And when I find that I go to sleep later, I wake up the next day and I feel almost like I'm hungover. And I realize that so much of my anxiety from before wasn't necessarily all because of alcohol. It was just because of all of the dysfunction that I had in my life. I didn't. Well, I wasn't processing my emotions. I wasn't really, I didn't have a structure. And it's been really nice noticing, you know, all the other things that I used to blame alcohol for. Like all the other things that I can easily take control of, you know, just by paying attention to my routines, paying attention to what I eat, paying attention to how I feel, how much water I'm drinking. I can always tell now that, you know, whether I'm dehydrated or whether I'm, you know, maybe not eating enough or eating too much. And I'm not having to deal with, you know, the alcohol as a distraction or as a, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just not blaming it on the alcohol because I think I used to blame everything that I was feeling on, you know, the alcohol. And Mm -hmm. and it's so much more than that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why Paloma came initially to do the journey was because she was having struggles with that. Mm -hmm. So it just... Once that inner child finally feels heard and understood, it doesn't have to fight to defend itself all the time, to act out. Because that's usually what's happening is we have Mm -hmm. this part of us that's just like, I have needs that need to get met and I'm going to push them to the forefront until you hear them and pay attention. And by the way, when I say that I, you know, was struggling with alcohol, I don't mean that I was like that every day I was drinking till I passed out or that I woke up and opened up a beer. Alcoholism, I think it comes in many different forms, but really, you know, I'm not saying that everybody that drinks regularly is experiencing alcohol abuse or that it has things that they may need to work through. But if you're drinking to cope with stress, you're drinking to cope with your negative emotions, whatever they may be, then maybe that's when you need to step back and take a look at what's really going on. Because I don't believe that I always drink 
to run away from my problems. There were times where I was drinking with good intention and there were times where I was, you know, responsibly drinking. And I do want to eventually get back to, you know, if I'm going to a wedding, I want to have a glass of wine, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's been the hardest part about not drinking is that I genuinely enjoy the taste of certain things. I genuinely mm-hmm. enjoy the taste of a good martini or of a good margarita or of a good beer, wine. And, you know, I'm a very, very tasteful drinker and that's really been the hardest thing i want to get back to you know going somewhere and enjoying a nice margarita and enjoying a a nice glass of wine but i don't want to use it as a means to get through yeah escape yeah you know and something that's changed i would say since the beginning of the activation project even when we first started this podcast is i was still under the perception that people need healing, they need to be fixed in certain areas. I thought I needed to be fixed, you know? And so then it was this constant thing of like, okay, I've fixed that part of me. I've healed that part of me, you know, just, and then since then, what I've come to understand is that we are still an amalgamation of all these parts of us. And the real work and the real healing is understanding that and loving those parts of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And just becoming friends with ourselves and understanding that this is the part of the life that we chose here. These are our challenges here. Yeah. And like Carl Jung says, and I quote this a lot, he says, the biggest problems in our life, we don't solve, we outgrow. Mm -hmm. And that requires a higher level of consciousness. So essentially what the activation project is about is expanding our mind. It's about downloading all of the unprocessed trauma, all of the stuff that we haven't worked through. And then once we do that, it frees up so much space. It's like freeing up 350 gigabytes of space in your mind. And then you just have so much more bandwidth Mm -hmm. for emotion, for connection, for security, for all of these things that are vital to our existence. Connection is such a big one because, you know, whenever you're able to show up as your best self, you can show up for everyone else. And I think that's one of the things that the Activation Project is so good at is emphasizing how important it is to do this work, not just for yourself, because, you know, if you can heal yourself, then that's great and all. But it's selfish of you not to share that with the world, not to want to then activate your tribe and then activate the world. You know, I think that's the purpose of it all is to really form a community of people that are willing to share the knowledge that they receive through the activation project in order to create a better world. Because now we're so flooded with, you know, bullshit on the media. People are so hypnotized by all the things that they see in the media. And there's just not enough of this work. Yeah. So what we just were talking about earlier is phase one, which is to know thyself, Mm self-realization, understanding all these things about you. Because once you can understand yourself, then you can accept yourself. You Mm -hmm. can accept these parts of you. These parts that you've been just trying to get rid of and demonize and all these things. And then you can understand what it means to truly love yourself. And then the second phase, which is to activate your tribe, we use the quote from Maya Angelou, what you get, give, what you learn, teach. And that is all about sharing everything that comes in and giving it back out Mm -hmm. to the people around you and really sharing this information, especially so... I should say that the ACE, you know, it is part of the foundation that we work with that measures adverse childhood experiences, but it is by no means an exhaustive or comprehensive list. Like there's so many other factors that create trauma and disconnection and inner civil unrest that are not talked about. 
So I think a lot of people, they might look at the ACE and think that they didn't experience any of that and that Mm -hmm. they had like a really good life. But with further inspection, they can understand that there was a lot missing. Maybe they didn't have that very vital connection that they needed with their mother or their father. Maybe they didn't. There wasn't a lot of affection in the house. There wasn't a lot of support. Maybe the parents were trying to convince the kids to be exactly who they wanted them to be. And that creates a lot of cognitive dissonance or it's like, you need to be a doctor or, you know, a lawyer and there's no other options, you know, even though that's not the path that they were supposed to be on. So that's another thing. And then phase three, which is activate the world, involves really aligning with people who are serving their purpose, intentional communities, because what we found is like these nuclear single family homes, they're just not working. I mean, divorce rate is super high. There's a loneliness is one of the number one killers in the world. And so more than ever, I think it's important that people band together and create these communities where they all live very close proximity and sustainable living homes where they can grow their own food, where there can be a curated school system for the kids agreed upon by all of the members in the community. That is how I want to raise my children. I do not believe in sending them to the school system that we have right now. Like there needs to be a change. And I want to create these intentional communities all over the world so that you can have this loving, supportive community system Mm -hmm. always there to help you out, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about the integration process and Specifically, I think parts work in integration. What is that? So what happens is a sort of unraveling when you do these journeys, right? It's like all this like falling away of all this and you're like shedding all of this old stuff that you don't need anymore. But what also happens is like memories will start coming as the days follow and you'll start making more connections. And so that needs to be talked about. That needs to be integrated. And that's why we do these follow-up sessions because things start to become known to you, like Mm -hmm. these very clear parts of you that are split that, you know, one part of you is pulling you one way, another part of you is pulling you another way. And so through the integration process, we figure out how to band all of those parts together to create a team that's all rowing in the same direction. Like Mm -hmm. if you were on a kayak and you had a bunch of people or rowboat and people are rowing, you know, you don't want that one person in the back rowing backwards and causing you to spin in a circle and not go anywhere. So it's about getting everybody on the same path, rowing in the same way. One of the things that you mentioned when we were in the, I think, I don't remember if it was my first or second journey, but you were talking about this, these split personalities that we all have. And I mean, just knowing that we all have these was mind-blowing to me because I've mentioned before that I grew up with a mom who had uh, schizophrenia and she was manic depressive and she had bipolar disorder. And so growing up with somebody that, you know, one moment was like super happy and then one moment was like just complete, you know, dismay and just, or angry or whatever, you know, her mood swing was like that day. It was really hard, you know, noticing that. And then as I grew up, I started experiencing that and it scares me. Like mental illness is one of my biggest fears. And so when we were talking about the split personalities, I think if I was not under like the, you know, under the influence of MDMA, I would have just shut down completely. Like talking about split personalities because I would have just pushed it so far away from me and not been able to talk about it. But It was really nice knowing that we all have that. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So it can look a little bit more extreme with some people, depending on how much trauma they went through. But 
Essentially, like when you experience trauma at a young age, your subconscious splits because it has to disassociate from the traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So it creates this split part of your consciousness. So it's like you're rowing down a boat by yourself. You hit a rock, you experience something traumatic, you get back on the boat and then there's somebody else in the boat, another part of you. Right. And that part is created. It's like a little clone of you. That part is created in a lot of ways to protect you. Right. So it was like the trauma was transferred to that part Mm -hmm. of you so that your conscious mind can keep going and survive. And with your mom, she she experienced a lot of abuse or and like just, you know, didn't have a good connection with her mom and stuff like that. So just depending on how hard that was for her, you know, it's that constant. And then, you know, if you're living a life that's different from what you believe that you should be living, you know, it just pulls you further and further Mm -hmm. out of alignment. And then these split parts start to be the ones that are dominating, you know, because you're just not integrated and you don't have inner peace because there's just so much conflict going on. But with other people, I mean, it can look just like, you know, part of you wanting to get up early and work out, but then every time you try to do it, this other part of you is like, no, or let's stay in bed, let's snooze, let's do that. And really the biggest antidote to that is creating habits and figuring out how to successfully create a habit in your life. And a really good way to do that is as soon as you do the thing that you were going to do, for instance, like BJ Fogg gives the example that he would do two push-ups after he would go pee. And then it just, he kept adding on, adding on, adding on to the point where he was doing like 50 push-ups in a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But right after he would do the push-up, he would congratulate himself, like really pat himself on the back, like good job. And what he describes is feeling of shine Mm -hmm. where you just feel proud of yourself because you accomplished what you set out to do. And that floods your brain with dopamine. So then it wants more of that. And then it's going to encourage you to do that again. Mm -hmm. So it's that initial pushing against that part of you. And then just telling yourself, no, I'm going to do this. You celebrate it. And then you just continue to make a small habit and small habit. And then it just gets easier and easier, you know, to manage. You become the driver. You become the one who's managing these parts of you. You know, it's not about figuring out how to get rid of that part of you or whatever it is. And really the best way is to coax those parts of you with love and understanding. And I think it's important to point out that every day is, you know, you have to make a daily choice to want to improve on these habits. I feel like it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this work, you have everyone faces new challenges, right? And so I think when we face a new challenge, we really have to make a commitment to ourselves to keep going, to keep forming these habits that are going to help us see it through these challenges. What are some of the challenges that you face, you know, now or that you face since you started working with the Activation Project? What are some of your biggest challenges that you've overcome? Well, I would say that one of the biggest challenges for sure was getting disconnected from my sisters, which was really challenging. You know, we just kind of started going different ways in our lives. And that was extremely painful. And that can be a part of this whole like falling away that I discussed, you know, because as you start to change, as you start to grow, as you start to reach higher levels of consciousness and your mind starts to expand, not everyone is going to go with you, Mm -hmm. you know, and not everyone is going to continue to go up and be on the same page. And so things will start to shift in your life. And that can be difficult. It's like the caterpillar working its little body through the cocoon, you know, to emerge a butterfly. That is not an easy process. 
but it's vital for transformation. That metamorphosis, it can look different for everybody, but that was definitely a challenge. And obviously, you know, the biggest work through that for me has been keeping my heart open no matter what, no matter what happens in my life with people, with situations. My number one job is to not close my heart through resentment or bitterness because it took a lot of work to get that heart back open. You (laughs) know, I had years and years and years of resentment that were built up that were just destroying me. Yeah. And so no matter how painful it is, I know that I have to keep my heart open. And when the time is ready, if we, you know, reunite, that I won't let my resentments hold me back. And you can leave your heart open with boundaries, right? So you can have boundaries with your heart open. So that's been a big challenge for me. I also get challenged with imposter syndrome a lot and just self-doubt, which I really have to work through. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I think we've had conversations multiple times on imposter syndrome and self-doubt because it, you know, for me, it's having to build this credibility because, you know, for the last 10 years, people have seen me. And this is one of the things that Brian told me when I started doing this work. He's like, you know, a lot of the people that you know have seen you do some crazy shit. (laughs) So you're going to have to really clean up your act a little bit. And so it helps, but at the same time, it kind of puts this doubt in your mind where I'm like, oh shit, am I good enough? Am I good enough? But you have to talk about it. And Well, that's a really good point, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what we were having in this conversation last night is because, yeah, the people around you, they're like, really? Oh, you're a change? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it, it can be really challenging to have to look at these people in the eyes and say, yeah, no, this is the way. This is, and they're like, why the hell should we follow you? Like, yeah, <laughs> so that reminds me of this verse about your enemies being they of your own household or something like that. But that's an extreme context. But the thing is, is that in that situation, all you can do is continue mm-hmm. to go day by day yeah. to be the person that you're meant to be mm-hmm. and to just be it, Yeah, you know, and then... One day, you know, maybe they'll see, or they're not the people that you're meant to help, you know? That brings me to a really good point. So who does, who would benefit from psychedelic assisted therapy? Who benefits from this work the most, do you feel like? I think the people that benefit it from the most are the people who are desperate for a change. They've reached that point where they're like, I will do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And they get, they're stuck in some sort of, They're just stuck. They're stuck. They're facing some transitional dilemma. They've hit, you know, a place where they just know that they cannot go on or grow. And they're like, I am ready to change. The famous rock bottom. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't even have to be a rock bottom, but you have to have that desire to do whatever it takes, right? And to really look at the areas that you do not want to look at. Mm. For me, I had to start with my sexual history because that was a part that I was lying about for so long and I didn't want to tell anybody. And I was like, no, I don't have to look at that part of me. It's fine. It's fine. It's Mm -hmm. fine. But then there was so much dysfunction surrounding my relationships. So then I was just like, okay, well, clearly things aren't fine. It's Mm -hmm. time for me to investigate this area. And I think we all know the parts that, you know, we know where we bullshit ourselves and we know where we're not willing to look at, but that's the only place where you're going to get healing from. It applies to everything. Everyone knows that they have to make a change. Everyone knows what to do. Sometimes they don't do it. And it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. If you're not willing to do the work, you're not creating that change within yourself. 
right? And I think that's what is useful about the activation project is that you have an accountability partner because, you know, you would check in on me and you'd remind me to write some things down and, and you'd be adamant about, you know, hey, let's set up a time to talk this week. And even if it's 10, 15 minutes, let's just set up a time. And me, I'm always like, go, 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 go. I have like three jobs at one point and I still have like, you know, trying to do my health coaching and try to have like my morning job and then I have my kids. It's, it's a lot to juggle, but I think it's really important to have somebody there to remind you through this process, mm-hmm. you know, to slow down and write some things down, gather your thoughts, share, you know, what are some things that are holding you back and remind yourself to take some time off and really, you know, sort these things out because meditate even if it's for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no I I think it's super important to have that accountability partner so kudos to you for being so open and so good at being a listener because you're just such a great listener and you're always able to pick up you know some things and I remember there was one time where I was talking to you and I was complaining about work and, you know, my boss kind of like telling our superior some things about me. And I'm like, well, if she had a problem with it, why didn't she just come and say it? And they were like, do you think that maybe this is a reflection of you? Maybe on some personal things. And at that time I was working out some things with Brian and I was like, shit, Olivia, shit, were you right? <laughs> and you have such a graceful oh, way of doing that. You know, you. you have a graceful way of like pointing out that there are some things that maybe you need to look at within yourself before you can point the finger at other people. Well, so. and by the way, this is just all stuff that I've had to learn myself, mm-hmm. you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, I have like, just like one step ahead. Like, okay. Because <laughs> yeah. judgment was a big thing for me, you know? And like, ah, casting judgment on somebody for like talking behind your back. Well, why didn't they just come up and mm-hmm. tell me that themselves? And then you think about it and I just go straight to like, how does this relate to me? How am I doing this? somewhere in my life Mm -hmm. some way you know because there's a part of you that relates to that so oh man great stuff what has been um what has been your favorite part about working with other people oh my god well there's this moment that happens usually during the journey where it's like you see the light bulb go off basically (laughs) and all it's like ding and they're like Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden this shift starts to happen and they're like, oh, wow. And that moment is just so incredible, you know, because maybe you've been carrying this weight of like resentment for a long time against somebody. And then you just have this like little tiny shift in your perspective and it just changes Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. And just, I don't know, seeing how like how much more open people get and how much better they can connect with people and how much love starts to fill their life. And that's all of it. All of it is just so I can't wait. I can't wait to sit in with you on a journey. And this brings me to the next topic that I want to talk about is what the next step for the activation project is. Or for people that are going through the activation project, you offer, you know, training would you say it's training or mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah. yeah we need more guides we need mm-hmm. more integration coaches so we're waiting for the 5013c our tax number to come through which should be any day now and then i want to request support from people because i would like to open up a center you know where we can use it as like a school where people can come and do these journeys where hopefully that you know there'll be people living there. I want to make it sort of a community as well as an activation project center and school and just 
basically learn how to do it so they can take it back with them and teach it and spread it and just continue to let this thing grow. I know that, you know, with some coaching programs, you don't always have to use a medium, right? There's a lot of people that are more open to Absolutely. talk about it without Absolutely. a medium. So that's always good to know. I know that there are people out there that are just kind of like, no, we don't want to, you know, do any sort of substance. And that's totally fine. You don't have to if you don't want to, although it does help greatly. And the cool thing about this program or this six month journey is that you only do MDMA twice in the six months, right? Two to three times. Two to yeah. three times, depending on, you know, I guess the person. Right, right. Yeah. Some people only need just one time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, this is something that you're doing every day. Like hands down, I would rather do this for, you know, two times within six month period than to have to pop of volume every single day right. or drink or, or drink up every single day. Like if you're at that point, you know, definitely reach out. This is a good place to start healing some of that trauma that you may be holding on to. Yes. So Hell yes. We'd love to hear from you. Wow. What else do you want to share about the Activation Project? I know that there's been so many things changing since you started. Yes, that's been uh, interesting. It's so funny because like... Uh, I experienced all of the things like I listened to Ram Dass and I'm like, oh my God, I went through that. I went through that, I went through that where your ego is just like taking control and like running the ship. And then, you know, you have to step back and like, okay, <laughs> it takes a lot of humbling, humility going through this process because you just, you start to see yourself. And you understand that you are literally just a conduit. You're a conduit for source energy, your vessel. And I'm so honored to hear people say that I'm a good listener because when I went through the journeys and I was processing through that stuff, I could not shut up. Like I could not stop talking and I could not stop interrupting people either. And like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Oh yeah, I know, I know. Like, and then learning how to be like, okay, Olivia, it's their turn to talk yeah. and you just need to listen and you just need to be there. So it's something that's... I think that's where some of the miscommunication may come sometimes is whenever you're so eager talking about it that you're not listening yeah. to what other people are, are trying to communicate. So it's definitely hard. And I remember I had an experience where I was talking to you about, I think I was telling one of my sisters about this and how I told her, it sounds like you're in a lot of pain and maybe you need some healing. And then you were like, okay, we need to remember not to impose or not to assume that they're going through a lot of pain and just let them come to you and tell you whenever they're ready. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Trial and error. Trial trial and error. error. Because when you do it, you're like, everybody needs this. Everybody needs this right now. And you like go out and you're like, you need to do this. You need to do this, you know. And then it's just been the process of learning to just, you know, offer through invitation or be like, this is, you know, how worked for me mm-hmm. you know and you are so i mean it comes from a place of good good intention good intention because you learn about this and you like you feel better about yourself and yeah after the journey your mind is a little bit chatty and you start like to shift your perspective and just in general and it opens your eyes so much and then you want to tell the world about it right but me i was like one month sober and i was already ready to tell everybody about it and i feel like you have to lead by example a little bit so it takes patience but you know one of my brothers is doing a journey with you and i think it was 
you know, because there was a big difference in me. You could tell that there was a big change in me, just in my attitude in general, how I presented myself to the world, how I carried myself, how, you know, the fact that I have been sober for six months and I never thought I could do that except for when I was pregnant. You know, like we always talked about it. And I was like, I could never stop drinking. Like, I just could never. Like, I just, I just couldn't. You know, yeah. and that was the thing. And so I, I think that my brothers, especially seeing me now, like, you know, that Brian and I are abstaining from drinking and are being so at peace with it. You know, we're not like struggling. We're not. It's like it's fine. Like we're both content with it and we're happy with what the results that we're getting from it. And I think people are like looking at it as like, OK, what did they do? <laughs> yeah, like, it's so true. You just have to be the example, right? Mm -hmm. And people will see that. And that's what I should say with you is that you had that whatever it takes attitude. That's how you came to me. And you literally did every single thing that I asked you to do. Mm -hmm. And that is what gets results because I have people who do the journey and they don't do the stuff. They don't do the work afterwards. Mm -hmm. And you just won't get the same results. Yeah. That's when you have to show up for yourself. Because what these journeys do is it clears that space. It clears these dysfunctional neural pathways. But if you go right back to them, you're going to create them again. Mm -hmm. And so it takes work to monitor your thoughts, to choose the different behavior, to choose the different route other than what you've been doing forever. Because if you want your life to change, you have to change what you've always been doing. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that is so, so true. And I mean, even as the health coach with some of the clients that I have now with, and this is just weight loss, you know, you tell people, you give them a clear outline of what they need to do. And if they do the work, it works. If they don't do it, it doesn't work. It's so simple. And one of the things that you ask is like, how dedicated are you to make this change? Mm -hmm. And the first, the very first conversation that I had with you over the phone where I reached out, you said, okay, well, let's meet in a week from now, but I need you to not drink for a week. And I was like, well, I'll let you know how this week goes. And you're like, no, that to me lets me know that you're not committed enough to make this change. So how committed are you? And I was like, okay, I'll see you in a week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because like, honestly, like I just can't use my time that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And it's very important for you to let people know that I want to know how committed you are to doing this. Like, I'm going to try is not really committing yourself all the way. Like, I'm going to get it done. I'll try, yeah. Usually means you're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're giving yourself a way out. Mm -hmm. So. For everybody listening, you know, if you are ready to make a change in your life and you feel like this is something that could help you, please reach out to us at become.activated at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, which is theactivationproject.com. You can find Paloma on Facebook. She has a page called Breaking the Cycle. It's Break the Cycle. Break the Cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's www.facebook.com forward slash dare to break the cycle. And you can find it on Instagram as well at dare to break the cycle. You can find me on Facebook at Paloma Cifuentes and on Instagram as Paloma underscore Cifuentes underscore. Yes. We would love to hear from you. And if you know anybody that could benefit from this podcast, please share it. That really, really supports us because the Activation Project is not on social media. So we are just word of mouth. So if this helps you, please spread it around. We Mm -hmm. love you so much. Bye.